Since we're approaching the Christmas holidays that are being celebrated in this country, I thought it would be nice to learn a few lessons from our neighbors in the Christian community. I'm sure many of you are aware that church, atten church attendance is on the steady decline from a statistical perspective. The question is, why? Well, there's a very fascinating book uh, entitled How the West Really Lost God, A New Theory of Secularization by Mary Eberstadt. It's a very interesting book, and her theory is quite straightforward. Declining birth rates are to blame for the death of the church. This is her theory, and she uses the entire book to delineate how it's the declining birth rates that are causing the death of the church. So the first question is, and the first question that's dealt with, is, is it really true that birth rates are really going down? The answer is absolutely yes. It is definitely true that the birth rate in the Western world, specifically I'm talking about North America and Europe, is steadily going down. While it was normal for our grandparents and great-grandparents to have five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even ten kids, the average woman nowadays is closer to one or two kids. That's a very big difference. Normal being somewhere in eight, nine, versus now one or two. The replacement level is 1.2 children per woman if you want just a, the steady, the continuous growth of a nation. 1.2, excuse me, 2.1, excuse me, 2.1. The point one is because obviously some children can't bear children or they die early, so basic replacement would be two, because two parents, right? So it has to be 2.1. The US birth rate has been below the replacement level for decades, and as of 2020, the U.S. total fertility rate fell to 1.6 children per woman. So it's well below the uh, replacement rate. So this is definitely, uh, you know, uh, you know, undebatable fact. The next question that we have to ask ourselves is, how have the churches contributed? What can we learn? But obviously, let's take a look at history. How have the churches contributed to this decline? Well, in the Bible, we know that it is recorded that Jesus said what? He said about marriage, about a man and a woman, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is in Matthew 19.6. So basically, throughout most, if not almost the entirety of Christian history, divorce was forbidden. There was no concept of divorce. What God has brought together, no one can separate. You have to remain married for life. That's a commitment. But is that the case now? Absolutely not. Divorce is widespread. So that's one point. The second point is what? The softening on children out of wedlock. There was a time where it used to be a shameful thing that, oh my goodness, have you heard? This woman, she has children, but she's not married. It was a shameful thing. Nowadays, no problem. It's actually quite normal. That's number two. Number three is what? Embracing of contraception. At the beginning uh, of the whole uh, inception of this contraception uh, issue, it was considered forbidden by the church to embrace this because why? Uh, intercourse was only allowed uh, for the purpose of procreation. Therefore, the idea of, of, of uh, in, um, uh, what's it called? Contraception was forbidden. But nowadays, it's become popular, the church allows it, which also increases the popularization of uh, fornication. Why? Because now people sleep together with no fear of consequences of children, and churches have made a much, have had a much softer stance when it comes to even boyfriends and girlfriends, people coming to church together, holding hands, even on Sundays, in the church, in the pews, and oh, this is my boyfriend, this is my girlfriend, it's considered much more normal nowadays. And the fourth point, in terms of the destruction of the uh, nuclear family, is what is the embracing of gay marriage. And obviously gays don't produce children naturally, and therefore the more you embrace this. So these are four different steps that the church has taken, which is, you could say, shooting themselves in the foot. It's a slow suicide, if you will, uh, uh, weakening, weakening the nuclear family. 
In short, and I like this quote from the book, in fact, it said, in short, removing the command, be fruitful and multiply, which is mentioned in Genesis 1.28, the moment you remove this command to be fruitful and multiply, your congregation will become what? Less fruitful. Seems pretty logical, right? So subhanAllah, I thought that was a very interesting point. The third question that we have to ask ourselves is, is it true, now that we know that um, birth rates are going down and the, the church had some role to play in that, the question is, does that affect religiosity? The more kids you have, does that make you more religious? The less kids you have, does that make you less religious? I would like to offer to you a number of reasons as to why, yes, the more kids you have, the more religious you are. Point number one, childbirth is a miracle. Experiencing it makes you more connected with your creator, with the divine, with God. Because obviously, man and woman come together, they're both looking at each other like, I don't know how to develop an eye or a heart or lungs, joints. Etc. I don't know how to create a brain. So they both know that, yes, we came together as a man and a woman, but we don't know how to make a human. So there is a miracle in this. Point number two, parents love children more than anything else on earth. This intense experience of love is a spiritual experience. It's more than just experiencing chemicals in the brain. You get convinced that there is something spiritual going on here when you have such an intense experience of love. Point number three, a person who has a loving spouse and many children are generally happier, more fulfilled, and therefore more inclined to be grateful. And so who are they going to be grateful to? They turn towards God. Point number four, when you're living without kids, I love this point, when you're living without kids, you're not really a role model to anybody, right? You're not a role model to anybody, so you don't mind if you're setting a bad example. However, when you have children, that means that now innocent, impressionable People, these little kids, are looking up to you, so you feel more responsible to be the best version of yourself. And when people want to be their best, they turn to God, because by definition, God is the best in every way. I hope we can all see the logic here. Point number five. Children remind you that you're being replaced. They make you accept your death. People without kids remain in sort of a state of perpetual childlike status. Why? Because when you have kids and you watch them go through the different stages of their life, you say to yourself, I remember those stages. I remember when I was going through this grade, that grade. And then you remind yourself that, oh man, my time is up and I'm being replaced. Reminds you of death, makes you think of the afterlife. Point number six, children make us self-sacrificing of our time, of our wealth, and of our energy instead of being self-centered. The theme of giving up who you are and giving up your present for a better future, this is tightly related to the concept of the hereafter, giving up your present for a better future. So you can see the correlation. Point number seven, a child can make you feel extremely helpless. What do I mean by this? When your child coughs, when your child chokes, when your child gets sick, you can't help but pray. I don't care if you say you're the biggest atheist in the world, you are going to pray. And there's a very nice quote, again, from this book. It mentioned what? You know the expression, there is no atheist in a foxhole? This expression means what? That when the guns are firing and the bullets are going over your head, nobody disbelieves in God. That's when you start to pray, right? They say, just the same way there is no atheist in a foxhole, so too there are even fewer in the nursery. When you go to the nursery and the kids are sick and you see the parents there, it doesn't matter what they say about their religion. They're going to be praying to the Lord. So subhanAllah, this makes you more religious because it makes you have more tawakkul and dependence upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Point number eight. Religion teaches us to treat our fellow believers like we're part of a brotherhood and a sisterhood. This is in all religions, and it's in Islam, of course. Indeed, the believers are nothing but a brotherhood and a sisterhood. Now, this will apply to those who have a bigger family, who understand the concepts of brotherhood and sisterhood, because they have brothers and sisters. But what about a single child who never experienced having a brother or a sister? How can they relate? So you can see how it can deteriorate 
the, uh, the whole concept of religiosity. And I believe at this point, even more applies to Christianity because in Christianity, they refer to God as the Father. Now, about 40% of kids in this country are born out of wedlock. So, what does that mean? Why would a Christian kid care if he has a connection to his heavenly father if he had no experience with his biological father? In fact, the word father may have negative connotations to begin with. So you can see in all these different instances how smaller families, broken families, are going to inevitably lead to less religiosity. There's about nine points there. So then the big question is this. Now that we've surveyed and taken a look at what's happening in the Christian world, let's take it back to us. What's going on with us? Well, let me be clear. I am not addressing anybody in the audience who is either in financial difficulty or people who are going through marital problems, because obviously you don't want to have more kids when you're going through marital problems. You don't know if the marriage is going to last, obviously. I'm not addressing anybody who has medical issues, and that happens often. People want to have kids, and they can't due to medical issues. I'm strictly speaking to people with stable incomes, steady marriages, healthy bodies, and a supportive community, and I'm asking you the following question. Why is it that your grandparents and great-grandparents had less resources and more than double your number of kids? Is that a fair question? I hope I haven't offended anybody. Just think about it, please. Maybe over this, you know, the break, you as a family, you can all talk about these things. How? How is it possible that our grandparents and great-grandparents had more than double our number of kids and they had less resources to do so? What are the reasons? Is it sheer laziness? We know in the United States, obesity is a big epidemic. That's one of the leading causes of death, people dying from overeating. Are we just too lazy? Kids take a lot of energy. Is that the issue? Is it materialism? You don't want to divide up your resources. The more kids I have, the more I have to share. I don't want to share. I want it all to myself. Is it laziness? Is it materialism? Are kids somehow less cute? Are kids somehow less lovable? What happened to kids? Are they different? I hope not. I certainly don't think so. Allahu alam. Or is it simply that we see what's normal here, we see what is normal in the West to have maybe one or two kids, and then we simply get in line and copy them? As the expression goes, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. I'm sure we're all very familiar with the expression. I, I know the Muslim community here loves to tell themselves, we're not affected by others around us. Okay, then please explain to me. Explain to me the discrepancy in numbers. Why is it that it just coincidentally we seem to match up with the people who are our neighbors, coworkers, and so forth? Is that really just all a big coincidence, or are we being influenced? One reason why birth rates are declining is because some people consider it Moral and ethical. The ethical choice is to have as few children as possible. There are certain professors preaching this stuff to kids in university, impressionable minds. Oh, no, no, the best thing to do, have as few children as possible. I'm a noble person because I've had no kids or something like this. We know that in some countries, like for example in China, there was a time where they restricted parents to only having one child. So this is nothing new, the idea of restricting children or putting shame on the concept or trying to socially uh, make people want to have smaller families. What are their arguments? One popular argument is to speak from the environmental perspective. Oh, you know, we don't want uh, overpopulation and resources and so on and so forth. That's one perspective. However, I'd like to mention four arguments that I think are slowly but surely becoming more popular. And I want you to pay attention and, and, and find out and, and check if they sound familiar to you in any way. Argument number one. Can you guarantee that you'll be 100% even and equitable between your kids? No. It's impossible to be 100% equitable between them, and therefore you shouldn't have more than one unless you want to commit injustice. Does that sound familiar? Let's move on to number two. 
More children means a greater division of time, a greater division of resources. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that to your children. Hmm, does that sound familiar? Point number three. Countless people have had traumatic childhood because a tra traumatic childhoods because of sibling rivalry, having bullying or jealousy, dishonesty, gaslighting, psychological and mental abuse. This is what kids can do to each other as siblings. You don't want to do that, do you? You don't want to put your child at risk, do you? That's a third argument. And then a fourth argument is what? Why wasn't one child enough for you? Why did you have to be so greedy, let's say, sisters, and have a second kid, a third kid? Wasn't one enough for you? What did the first one do wrong that you needed a second one? Does this sound familiar at all? Some of you are smiling. I think some of you got the point. These arguments do sound familiar to us because as an ummah, we've already accepted these arguments before. I can be in a room full of hundreds of Muslim men. Not one of you has a second wife. Zero. Why? Why is that the case? Well, it's quite simple. There are even Muslim countries, forget about non-Muslim, there are even Muslim countries that have forbidden the idea of taking a second wife. We know it's permissible in our deen. We know it's part of our history. We know it's the Sunnah of the Prophet and many of the Sahaba. And yet, these arguments that I just mentioned have become popular with non-Muslims, and so we, as an ummah, have adopted them. If these arguments can be used to stop men from having multiple wives, then they can be used to shame sisters out of having multiple kids. Sisters, beware. They're the exact same arguments. And if that day comes, and if the sisters are depressed because they can't have the big family that they wanted, then you can always look to us and we'll say, welcome aboard. So, don't just say, oh no, our Islam will protect us from our family, our, our, protect our family arrangement. Don't think that because it happened to us, it can happen to you too. So before it happens to you, I suggest you start some family planning. I suggest you start some family planning. Let's not forget our deen. The same way the Christians forgot their deen to be fruitful and multiply, let's not forget our deen. And I'll explain what I mean in the second khutbah. What do I mean? Let's not forget our deen. What does our deen teach us about having kids and aiming for a large number of children? We know that the Prophet mentioned in authentic hadith, he commanded, Marry women who are loving and fertile, for I will indeed compete with other nations through you. I will try to be the biggest in number. So when you're getting married, young man, one of the first topics you want to talk about, how many kids would you like to have, sister? This is not why, because I say so, forget what I say. Doesn't matter what I say. The Prophet said, what? This should be a top priority. How many kids do you want to have? No, I'm not really interested. Okay, I hope you have a great life. I'm interested in having a big family. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be mean. But the Prophet is suggesting what? Aim for a big family. If you don't like it, look, you can take it up with the Prophet on Yawm al-Qiyam. That's not my problem. This is simply what the Hadith says. This is the example of not only the Prophet this is the example of Ibrahim salam. Ibrahim salam just wanted a righteous family. This is his sunnah. He wanted to convert his people, and specifically his father, but he couldn't, so he left to go start his own family. He wanted righteous offspring. Allah Ta'ala delayed it until he was older, and then finally when he got a child, the hardest test was to sacrifice that child. Why? Because he loved children so much. Look at, look at, look, subhanAllah, think about the psychology here. Allah Ta'ala says what? Remember and mention when Ibrahim was tested by his Lord with commands and he fulfilled them all. And then Allah said to him, indeed, I will make you a leader for the people. He's just been given a status, leader of the people. What is the first thing he wants to know? What about my offsprings? 
What about, what, about, what about my offspring? What about my children? Think about kids, first thing. Elsewhere in the Quran, Oh Allah, make me someone who established the prayer and my children and my descendants. Ibrahim was so focused on having descendants, kids, children. The Prophet taught us about this, Ibrahim to the point that when the Prophet went on Isra al Mi'raj to go up into the heavens, he saw in a certain circumstance there were a bunch of young kids and someone who was very tall. When he asked, Who is this man? He was told what? And the tall man who you saw in the garden, that is Ibrahim And the children around him are those children who died upon fitrah. What does this mean? Throughout his life, Ibrahim just wanted lots of kids. Wanted them to be righteous. And then when he passes away, subhanAllah, he's in paradise. What? He's in paradise doing what? Running a daycare. Spending time with children. This is the sunnah of Ibrahim But it doesn't stop there. What about Zakaria What was his dua? And indeed, I fear the successors after me, and my wife has been barren. So give me, Ya Allah, O oh Allah, give me from yourself an heir. Ibrahim making dua for children. Zakaria making dua for children, wishing to pass on and continue this deen, focused on family. Who else? Ayyub Yes, when Ayyub was tested with all sorts of tests, then finally when Allah removed it, what does Allah Ta'ala tell us? So we responded to him and removed what afflicted him of adversity. Then Allah says, Very, very important, beautiful ayah. Allah says what? And we gave him back his family and the like thereof. Doubling the family. Most of us think what? Double the family? A second family? A whole second set? Oh, that sounds like a, a burden. That sounds too hard. That sounds like a dif- difficulty. That sounds like a chore. What is, how does Allah define it? It is not just a mercy. It is a mercy that is exclusively from us. Allah Ta'ala used the royal we. This is saying what? This is a great mercy and a blessing to double your family, to have more children, subhanAllah. And then you might forget this in life. So what does Allah say? This is a reminder to those who worship Allah that Allah can remove your hardships. It's also a reminder that more kids, bigger family is not a curse, not a chore. It's not a problem. It's a blessing, an exclusive, beautiful blessing specifically delivered from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should also remember, this is a smaller point, but I still think it's interesting, that the Prophet says what? That angels don't enter the house that has either a dog in it or pictures in it. Now, oftentimes when a Muslim is asked, why don't you guys have dogs in your home? We'll answer that due to hygiene, uncleanly, which I'm sure is true. I mean, I'm, I'm not debating that. However, what if there is another additional wisdom in, uh, to that? Perhaps it's the case that because dogs are so loyal and loving and perpetually grateful, even when their owner is somewhat neglectful, even if the owner is rude and mean and whatever, the dog just shows un, unequi- uh, uh, you know, uh, unconditional love, subhanAllah. It can be the case that dogs become a replacement for the love of children. I'm sure you've experienced this. I know I've experienced it many times, that when you talk to certain couples and you ask them, so, do you have kids? Oh, we don't have any kids, but you know, our dogs are our babies. We call them our babies. We call them the children. We're going to take them out for a walk. Have you taken the babies out for a walk? Have you fed the babies? Have you fed the children? Yes or no? Have we seen this? I'm sure everybody's seen this. So this is showing what? Perhaps it's a wisdom, wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't. You can have dogs. You can own them outside in warmer countries, of course. 
but don't bring them in the house. Why? Because the love of that animal can replace the child, and we're seeing this in the Western world. SubhanAllah, maybe it's a great blessing that Allah Ta'ala prohibited this. We didn't understand the reason why. Now we look around, we say, oh, I think I get it. We would have replaced kids. Now, inshallah ta'ala, we have more kids. That's my, just my own thoughts on the matter, and Allah knows best. Few final points, inshallah ta'ala. There are some young people that will say, I can't take the pressure. I keep being asked, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? Oh, I can't take the pressure. So much pressure. This pressure, this social pressure is traumatizing. Okay. Please keep in mind a few things. When somebody asks you about your plans to have children, there are a few possibilities. Yes, possibility number one. Maybe they are being too judgmental. And that is unfortunate, but that is also quite rare. Most people are not that maniacal and vicious that they just want to attack you. The second possibility, which I think is much more common, is what? They really like you. They really like you, they really love you, and they can't wait to see a smaller version of you. Instead of being so offended, just take it as a compliment. Somebody loves you and they want to see a smaller version of you. That's really nice. So don't get so offended so quickly. And the third possibility, which I think is the most common, is what? Is that most people don't really care all that much. They're just trying to make small talk. It's very awkward when two people just stand in front of each other, staring at each other with nothing to say. So instead, what do they do? Uh, what do you do in school? Uh, where do you work? How's the business going? Are you going to have kids? Oh, when do you plan on having kids? Oh, I'm so offended, I'm so offended. Look, I don't really care that much. If we're going to be honest, the world doesn't revolve around you. I'm not day and night thinking about when you're having kids. We're just making small talk. So let's stop thinking that the world revolves around us and get over ourselves a little bit and realize that sometimes people are just making small talk and that's okay. So the final point that I'd like to mention is what? Some people, they claim that Islam was spread by the sword, Islam was spread through violence. This is a common statement made, especially in the Western world. So let's show them that the ummah is growing, but not through hate, but through love. Alhamdulillah, if you know what I mean. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us, may Allah ta'ala, oh Allah, we ask you to bless us with many healthy, happy, and righteous children. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya Allah, Make our children a sadaqatul jariyah, a continuously flowing charity, so that years from now when we are gone, inshallah, we are still reaping the reward because of the good that we did in this life. Ya Allah, make us upon the sunnah of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ya Allah, make us upon the sunnah of Zakaria alayhi salam. Ya Allah, make us upon the sunnah of Ayyub alayhi salam. Ya Allah, make us upon the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam. Ya Allah, make us upon the sunnah of all of the anbiya. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen.